Hello everyone, and welcome to the Madden Jack Morning Show. Episode 1, ODA. Bang! There we go. Jack, we finally got it making. <laughs> it didn't take too long, just 45 minutes of stress on a Sunday morning. 45 minutes of needed stress, though. So first off, this is exciting times because after months in the on on the paper on the whiteboard of a great idea for us to do this, we finally managed to get it in, and here we are. I, the, the the best things come to those who wait. I mean, admittedly, it's it's both of us that have been waiting for this. I don't think anyone really knows <laughs> that this is going to happen, but yeah, let's let's just run with that. It's literally just me and you. <laughs> it's, it's just us. It's just us. <laughs> Welcome to a self-indulgent podcast from Matt and Jack. (laughs) I don't think that really has a ring for it. I think this, the the thing is the topics that are discussed are always a lot of fun. So that's the main point. So the first topic of our first episode of our very own podcast is the ODA, Overseas Direct Assistance. Do you mean overseas, Overseas Development Assistance? Yes. What did I say? <laughs> direct. <laughs> Overseas direct assistance. I mean, spoilers, everyone. That might be where we end up. But for now, <laughs> but now we're on the overseas development assistance route, which is the traditional way. But Matt, why don't you just explain, you know, why you wanted to talk about this? Okay. So I, I took to reading a book and yes, uh, notably quite slowly at first, because there was a phenomenal amount of information in it, but it is something that resonates quite deeply with me in terms of, so the book was Donut Economics by Kate Raworth, which is a phenomenal book. And one of the things that she discusses in the book is how we need to get to a optimal playing level in the world of our development and economics in such a way that we are constrained within our limits of our earth, but then pushing everyone into a social band where they can live happily and have what they require to live a good life so anyway while reading this book one of the things that came to light was uh, a topic about the ODA so overseas development assistance and not direct assistance and as I was saying it resonated with me because I feel that for our world to progress we need to help those that are less fortunate and that do not have the same access to education to all of the great things that we do have in the first developed OECD worlds or countries that we live in. So I wanted to bring it up. And as per our normal Sunday chats, there's always a good debate about different ways we can improve it. And obviously being a very much, uh, being very much an optimist, I love the chats on thinking that we can solve the world and this is a good place to try and start. So that's, that's the background. Right. Makes sense. And, and 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 so so we'll have this fully balanced out between you, the uh, the uh, very strong optimist, and me, the reluctant. Relu- I was going to not- no. I was going to say <laughs> reluctant optimist. Actually, uh, reluctant. It's like I want to be optimistic, but every fiber of my being tells me no. Uh, so that is <laughs> that is the approach that I will take. Um, but yeah, I know you you were saying some with with donor economics. I think. Why don't we just explain, you know, where the state of ODA currently is at? I mean, 
it's very public in the UK right now. I think it was just last week we had the UK government saying that they're moving away from committing 0.7% of their gross national income and reducing it to 0.5%. And that is causing hell for leather in, in many different things. But I don't think people realize that for a long time, most advanced economies have not actually been committing to what they've said on the tin. The United States, even though they committed to this this agreement in 1970 to say they will give 0.7% of their of their GDP to, to charitable causes, I think right now, or at least in 2013, it was only 0.3%, and the US is still below that. Um, and yeah. it's just, it's it's for for where we know that there is so much that needs to be done in developing countries, we're kind of sitting here not really doing what we've even committed to ourselves 50 years ago. Yeah, which is, which in its own right, <clears throat> I think a lot of people will side on the idea of like, why should we be giving money away to someone that we don't know that doesn't contribute to where we are in our lives? And I can understand that point of view, but I think looking at the picture, the bigger picture, it's that money is directly contributing to the world improving. Every bit of cash that is donated, well, not donated, but given to a country that is need in need of development, that helps people create jobs, that creates like a better opportunity for education to be like spread across the countries or continent, wherever you may be. But one of the big things is, and this is what I really loved about in the book um, that Kate discusses is giving directly, which I thought was a fascinating uh, movement or a fascinating startup. And the fact that they provide the means of actually giving money directly to the people that need it the most on the ground, instead of going through third parties or government agencies where a lot of the funds get, I suppose, squandered, like as you showed in the, some of that research, a sixth of all development aid gets funneled off to a tax haven. Yeah, it goes and, goes and hides in money land after a short period of time. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Like, so I think from, so one of the one of the topics that we wanted to discuss was a, a lot of people have this perception that you can't give money to developing nations because the money will get lost and not go to the people where you would want it to go, where you, where is like, so from my perspective, and this is completely my, like from my set of eyes is when I give money to a charity, I would like to think that that money is going to the cause of helping like the person on the ground, i.e. if it's like UNICEF or someone providing food for refugees, you, you'd expect your money to go there. However, it's incredibly disheartening when you've made these donations and then later down the line, you read about that country's uh, president buying a new Gulfstream jet. (laughs) (laughs) What was the point? She's like, God damn it, Greenpeace. God damn it. (laughs) Why are you guys flying around in first class? (laughs) She's like, this is not what I intended. Um, So I suppose that was the the first one was, is is this reasonable to think that poor countries are unable to distribute wealth from the ODA correctly to power up the economy? And is giving directly the only other option that is out there to empower people that need it the most. Well, I think, uh, oh, go on. 
no, no, that was it. That was a, that was, that was me passing over the baton, and now I'm just going to walk away and let you solve this world problem. <laughs> oh, cheers. Okay, yeah. Let me just let me just put my uh, my 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 hat on. Uh, my solving hat. It's like a Harry Potter sorting hat, but it's a little bit more, you know, powerful than that. Um, I mean, the I think I think we know that a lot of like overseas development has a bad rep. Um, we know that it often is used for by by larger com- countries they say overseas development assistance is you know to help bring education or uh being able to get people um f- enough food to eat and then you realize that actually what it is is a way of funneling funds towards allies for geopolitical reasons or a way to ensure that the oil um, uh, the united states for example has a safe supply of oil um and even Britain as well, you know, we, we for a long time gave most of our foreign aid, not to the top countries that need it the most, not the top 10 countries that are struggling the most, but instead to countries like Syria, or Iraq, or Afghanistan, who just so happen to be countries that are all very close to one oil, but two our own political interests, because we were fighting a massive war in the region. And you wonder, you wonder whether or not you can actually get around that, I suppose, it really does depend upon the means. Like if we're going for bilateral foreign aid and that foreign aid is being funneled directly through governments from a government, then perhaps there is more of a focus on this whole like, how do I shore up and effectively get brownie points with a dictator in sub-Saharan Africa or a, or a, um, a monarchy in, in uh, the Middle East rather than, for example, helping people on the ground. I don't know if that's applicable to people like Greenpeace or Save the Children or these not or even the UN to an extent. When you're looking at these kinds of organizations that are focused on educating children or distributing vaccines, maybe that's a place where, for example, you won't be as prone as corruption to corruption, but something where you're like the United Kingdom or France going and giving money to Algeria and saying, Hey, look, here's some development aid for your people. Yeah. That might be quite easy to go, cool, can I buy some tanks with that? Because that's that's often what that's what often a lot of this foreign aid is. It's a, it's state states going. Uh, we will give you a load of foreign aid um, to help power up or level up your economy. Sorry, Boris. On the, um, on the condition that you buy our tanks. On the condition that you buy our tanks, and you're like, okay, so this is definitely a case of like saying, um, yeah, I'm trying to help, but for my own benefit, rather than what I think charity really is, which is. I'm helping for the benefit of others. And yeah. with state-based aid, if, if, you've never, if you've ever read Confessions of an, of an Economic Hitman, you'll see oh, yeah. that for like 40, 50, 60 years, particularly in the Cold War, foreign aid was the principal way of garnering influence across the world, ensuring you have resources for your own country and effectively are either beating down the horrible capitalists or putting a bulwark against communism. And I think that that's still very much there in, in bilateral foreign aid. I still think that that mentality is prevailing. And as soon as you get that, that mentality, it doesn't matter if you're supporting a dictatorship or a democracy, you're still getting the end goal that you need. Yeah. 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 And then, well, I suppose, do you think it would be, do you think there would be an opportunity for, so now with the UK cutting its overseas development aid funding by its 0.4% or whatever it was, <clears throat> do you think that, and obviously that being the issue with a lot of like ODA, 
is a lot of people do see it exactly for that. It is a way for a country and it's a way for like the economic hitmen of the world to be able to dictate the way a country needs to run to maintain power and influence and in turn enrich themselves. Now, the question is, is like, I'm, you know, I'm an optimist and I believe that there are good people in the world. And like, there, there's got to be some people that are uncorruptible and that if you were to give them the chance to manage the, like if there was a, a kind of organization that that took that money but was we're not going to further our political interests we're going to use this to create a benefit for people on the ground like for me it's it's you need we need people in school we need people to learn so that we can all advance our economies and advance our buying power so that we aren't buying cheap crap that's destroying the countries well the world in general so right going back to that question so the question is is if there was an ability to give some of that ODA money that a lot of people see going to enhance political influence, if it went to like an independent, like fiercely independent organization that took that money and redistributed it through something like giving directly or projects on the ground, would that ever take off? Like I would the, would the private sector or like the, the sector of caring citizens ever come to a place where they will help, try and change a country i think i think you've got i think that it becomes a case of really understanding and really trying to see the the benefits of it in the sense of if you gave someone 10 pounds a week in in a poor place which would be a lot of money um would they be able to benefit their own life and probably even those of their extended family in the neighborhood probably but does that fix structural problems? Like when you look at these bigger organizations like the what a non-governmental organization like the UN, like UNICEF, like UNITAID, like um, even Greenpeace and Amnesty International, all these con- uh, all these particular kinds of, of, of charities, do they have to go through these state actors? Because the only way they're going to get sizable change done is through going through these larger organizations where there is unfortunately a vested interest to ensure mm. that you're skimming off the top or rather than skimming off the top, you're kind of leaving that little bit of terrible espresso at the very bottom of the coffee cup, <laughs> that kind of more approach to it. Um, Important that- to note everyone just listening and that Jack has got a very nice coffee machine and has become somewhat of a coffee connoisseur. Oh, you know, you really, that's not really very helpful. We're talking about development aid and charities, and you've literally just pointed out that Jack is firmly in the OECD middle class. <laughs> well, you know, just, all these, all I, these coffee analogies, you know. Let's, let's, let's cut that. <laughs> oh no, we're keeping that in now. We're keeping that in. If we can't, if we can't I, get to the... For, for the record, I have a coffee machine too. <laughs> oh yeah, here we go now. It's just it's like, all the world as long as we can maintain our coffee. <laughs> I am part of the common people. Um, no, we are. Uh, I'm, we're definitely keeping that in. Um, I find that if, if no, it's all seriousness. If we can't have a podcast where we can't make those little jokes about each other, we're not doing it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, going back to my somewhat uh, uh, privileged uh, coffee uh, cup analogy. example <laughs> analogy, um, we are very much talking about that bit at the very bottom, which is probably the trickle that is getting through to people. Um, yeah. We, but even even then. Like, let's take a step back. Even though one sixth of uh, overseas development was regarded as being something that ended up in tax havens, ended up supporting dictators and billionaires, etc., uh, 
that still leaves five six actually getting to where it needs to go. So yeah. I think there's a question of can we? Th- there is always going to be the 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 kind of like political interest as to why you want why some of that state aid that foreign aid will actually go and be taken by these dictators. That's bad. That's definitely something we need to fix in the future. But does that stop? the majority of it actually getting to where it needs to go to support these communities structurally. So not just a case of being able to give £10 a week to a family. Is this something that will build more schools? Because you're going to need more money than £10 a week per family, probably, to yeah. build schools. Um, to And we know that education, for example, is really linked to that. Or clean drinking water, or sustainable farming, or those kinds of things that we know are the bedrock of being able to get to a more advanced economy. Yeah, no, that that's that's very well put, and actually a very good point. It does the the money that is going out is getting to where it needs to be, and now with the cuts that are potentially coming, countries that are in desperate need at the moment, especially post this COVID crisis. I mean, South Africa, look at that. That's just a that's a tinder pot that just got ignited by just one political uh, moment, and that's because people are frustrated. Like there's. And that's throughout developing countries. I, I can only fathom when everything got shut down and locked down, that's people's livelihoods, that's people's work that's gone. And unfortunately, we here drinking our coffee and in a comfortable like situation as we are, we're now cutting those funds to enhance our living. But God, man, like the, the people there on the ground at the moment in these places that don't have running water, that don't have food, that don't have everything else, that that small cut is huge. And I, I obviously, I, I always, I want to try and create something in the future. Like I would love to create a school and I'd love to do that, but you need capital to do it and you need funding. And I suppose the difficult thing now is, is where is that shortfall going to get picked up? Like there, there's so much evidence that supports the idea that when countries give development aid to, a, I suppose, like a village or to people that need it, they, they genuinely use that money to enhance the lives of those people around them. And now that's not going to be there available. So are we taking a step back? Are we going to be putting ourselves in a time when we need to innovate and give people opportunity, we, we're going to be reducing our ability to do that, our ability to help the well, world. Yeah, that's, that actually doesn't make a lot of sense in my own mind because but, uh, but I, I get, I get so much other stuff that's going on. Like this is just looking at like one very small facet of like a million facets. Of no, but you, you've got, a, you've got, a, you've got a point to make though, which is that we know that because of the COVID pandemic, a lot of countries like the UK, okay, that's probably a, a not necessarily a great example because we've literally in the last five years gone, fuck you world, we'll do our own thing um, in various different phrases. Um, but we do know there is going to be greater domestic pressure to focus on people at home. There's going to be greater domestic pressure to ensure that we are not going to suffer the long effects of climate change. I mean, we're sitting here, not only did we re- we move away from this, um, this commitment and reduce it by, I think like 4 bill, 4.5 billion pounds as we reduced our foreign aid spending. Um, but we're also sitting here um, with Belgium and Germany, half of it being underwater. So there's going to be a lot of domestic pressure to be like, hey, don't focus on those places, focus on here. And that's what always this international assistance debate has been. 
Um, the, the irony being that the counter example to that has been, yeah, but you don't understand what this does, what this actually yeah. does. And then you're kind of like, okay, so you're saying that you're defending it by doing something that a lot of people don't really agree ethically to. And that doesn't fly either. Um, so there is definitely a, a, an argument to say, how do we ensure that people get this funding if nation states take a step back? And I still think that there is going to be a lot of people. We know that there are going to be a lot of wealthy people who, for one reason or another, want to be philanthropic. How do we direct their funds into initiatives that do get money into the hands of individuals? Because as you say, we know that people who get this money are more likely to try and further themselves in a way that is relatively entrepreneurial. They don't just get this money and then go, cool, I've won the lottery. I'm just going to sit and lay back. They actually think about how to support their community. And if you gave enough funds, could you pull those funds together to do the kind of larger scale projects that traditionally have been done by these, um, by more state actors? right? Larger infrastructure style projects that at the moment you have China, for example, doing in most of Africa, but they're doing it with this. The Belt and Road Initiative. They read the economic hitman and they're like, cool, we're just going to try this ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, do we, does it have to be that the only way to make a sustainable port is by China coming in and basically saying, we'll build the port as long as you give us all the returns off that port. Um, Or, or can you do it with, can we give, a thousand people in the community, 10 pounds a week. And then they think, actually, we want to develop a port. We want to accept the goods. Can you bring it in that way where you're not, um, not relying in, uh, relying on a state to do something big, which will make a big difference to a lot of people. Um, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Like, well, you know, so that, that, as you said, like the, the small little contributions that people use and that helps develop their communities and their villages and in, in, enrich the entire community in general. Like that money goes a lot further than just on that one person, as you say. Um, I just want to bring something else up here, which is as as we reduce these, these kind of investments in things, uh, one of the, the notes that we took down was at the moment, 25% of some countries' GDP is made up of migrant workers sending money home to their families. And now I feel like the current, the state of the world that we're in at the moment, there's a massive drive to the populist kind of rhetoric because people are getting frustrated. The Obviously, COVID has hit everyone's bottom line in some sense, except the very wealthy and increased theirs. Um, but <clears throat> as you've said once or twice before, it's people's uh, viewpoint on why help other people. I'm so fed up, like I'm tired of people taking our jobs, etc. But with us reducing the develop, like the aid that we're going to be giving, we're potentially going to be increasing the need of people to migrate or like for immigrants to come through the borders of different nations to try and get a better foot up to be able to send that money back. So if I feel like if, if we we're creating a vacuum of funds that are needed, which people are going to fill by coming to try and like uh, come into first world countries, the OECD, and try and get a good job and like a, a right to have a good life. Mm-hmm. And I think that the give directly thing, I, I giving directly thing is what you said is if we had to empower the people there, and that's my main thing is everyone and that's what Kate Bullworth's thing is as well, is, is everyone deserves to have that 
opportunity, I feel, and again, optimist, but I feel everyone deserves that opportunity to have a good life, to have good education and not to be concerned about their safety and their and where they're going to get their next meal from. And by just giving people small small grants in that respect, but directly to the villages themselves, you can generate farms, you can help with like, I don't know, educational books and stuff getting delivered there. But I don't, yeah, so the, the thing is like with the states pulling out of like sponsorship, and let's be honest, the, the majority of those big uh, infrastructure projects were normally built and the contracts won by overseas companies to come and do it. So it's just, it's like, oh, look, we look great, but here's, here's money, go and, go and make us more. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering what the next step's going to be and what so, will look like after this. Yeah, I think I think there is some like, there are some things that we can we can say are pretty good. I mean, I know I'm kind of like casting a shadow over the next decade to say that I think that a lot of rich countries will withdraw. But you do have President Biden saying that he's going to commit to more U.S. spending, provided he can get it past Congress, um, and uh, which is the big if. And in France, same thing. Although Macron is looking like he's in a shaky political position as well. So, but there are people who are committing to that. Um, but I think you know. One thing that is a negative downside uh, of the uh, fact that wealth is being concentrated in the wealthy is mm. that the wealthy now have the budgets of states. Now, if you are worth like 40, 50 billion, you are going to be probably worth more than quite a lot of countries in a, in a year. And, 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 and that's why, you know, the, the philanthropy of Bill Gates is both positive and negative. It's a private individual who is able to make such a massive impact for the benefit of a lot of people. But it's a private individual who has a sheer a lot of wealth who yeah. is unilaterally deciding to employ that. So it's a bittersweet thing. And I know that they a lot of these uh, philanthropists don't trust government to do it properly, which again is another problem. But perhaps there is something to say that if, for example, we know like, you know, the reason, the reason, original reason we wanted to talk about this was because of Give Directly, because there was this com uh, this this company that started in the US, which was leveraging the power of the internet to be able to give money directly to people. Because previously, let's let's just be honest, let's be straightforward. There was no choice before mobile phones and the internet. There was no choice. You had to yeah. go through state actors because you couldn't speak to the people on the ground. You couldn't get to the people who were sitting in that community. You now can because mobile phone use is over is is so prevalent in a lot of these countries. So maybe it's a case of saying that you know, we're 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 kind of going back to a traditional approach of saying, oh, there's no way you'd be able to build these large scale projects unless, for example, you did um, went through these states. When actually, it could be that. Could we not do something like give directly where we're not just giving it to, for example, a community, like a, as in individuals in a community, could we give it to a community bank? Could mm. we give directly to a, an organization within the community? Yeah, someone hold accountable right there and then. Yeah. Like, with yeah, by the community. That's such a good idea. That is actually. So, so that there is a, that you could say, we know that banks in at least developed countries when we really needed to get entrepreneurialness going and factories being made and things being developed was a lot of people actually needing to get loans. 
Now, in, for example, most of these communities right now, um, I think I read one article and I could be speaking completely incorrectly but one way it's like you wanted a loan it'd be 20 30 percent interest because no otherwise the banker would not be able to make enough money so you're like if for example you're able to give more cash to these banks so they can get greater deposits so they can lend more um could you for example encourage more of the kind of like building a community from the ground up as opposed to top down which we know already has problems with corruption or problems from other other ways I think one thing to add to that is um, I don't know if you've watched the film the oh, what's it called now the banker on Apple TV. Oh, no, so that was an interesting one because that was a similar kind of approach, but it was one guy who made a lot of money in LA real estate and then went back to his community in Texas, bought a community bank, and then started to lend out to black people who previously were not willing, not able to get loans because they weren't able to get loans. They couldn't improve their businesses, attract more customers, mm. g- generate wealth. That's all we're really talking about. So could you do something similar where you're providing cash to banks or kind of like community leaders or lenders who can do a similar kind of thing, but have not been able to do so traditionally because the national infrastructure isn't there or for example, there's too much corruption in, in that um, in that network to be able to do it sustainably. I mean, I'll throw that out there, but that, that, that potentially you could do directly now um, yeah. without having to go through the state because you can have these other ways of transferring money to people. This technology has enabled it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. That's actually, that would work. I don't see why that wouldn't work. I've seen <laughs> The key thing we need to work on, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, well, the key thing, the key thing is like we know that there is there's a, there's a, a lot of comments about give directly about that I read, which was that people aren't sure that it's giving legit. money to these villages. Well, one is it legit? I, it was very frightening when I went onto Google and went give directly, and it literally the first thing down that Google thought I wanted to read was is give directly legit. <laughs> some which you know says it's got a bit of a uh, an image problem that it needs to work out um but even if it got past that there's still a case of like economically there are studies that have said that it does work does bring yeah. wealth build wealth in a community um but a lot of people with the money and this goes back to this point of like states cutting back and philanthropists uh, philanthropists i seem to can't say philanthropists yeah. <laughs> philanthropists um, they either want to, they want to use the funds themselves. So, yeah. like I think it was give direct giving in the US only really receives fifty million a year, whereas all private charitable donations in the US to international development or foreign aid is worth two billion dollars. So you have a complete difference in the way it is. But if you, thinking about it, if you know if you flip that. Would that make a big difference? Well, some of the economics says that it will. I I I believe that it would. I believe that according to the research that I've read and what I've the articles I've seen, it's it people that are given cash or money directly, not through these state aid actors, as you said, they do stuff with that money. They do stuff with it. There's I think Waterorg was also the Matt Damon startup for giving out microloans to create water infrastructure projects to give people fresh water in their villages. They have reckon 99% payback period. 
Like mm. everyone pays back that money because they're not taking it to squander it. They're taking it to improve their lives. And I think it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to comprehend from like our, from a person's perspective, because there's that fundamental attribution error, FAE, um, which is from Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point book. Fantastic. Uh, but anyway, where I think it's, it's one of the most understated kind of terms out there because basically an FAE is like you are taking what you perceive as normal and projecting that onto someone else. But it's impossible to do that from a perspective of someone that's living in a mud hut and doesn't have access to clean water and whatnot and being given money to say, this is to build, like this is for you to go and build a water project. They'd be like amazing. But if you're putting yourself in their shoes and thinking like, oh, well, I've got all these luxurious things. It's difficult to comprehend what you would do with that money or what you think other people would do with that money. And I think that's kind of like the the public pushback or slow development is that it's, it's difficult to see that. And I think giving directly like following them on Twitter, they often feed back to people's donations saying like, this is what we've done. This is the person we've helped. This is et cetera. So some form of accountability backward like so you can physically see that thing and and as you said it was potentially going to a community having like a, a part of being one of these community banks that get like inflow to be able to direct cash to people and help them can't sit on it you can't do whatever but part of your responsibility for being in this privileged position is like reports or or something yeah. along those lines and I think and what we're the doing, the more, the more like you can funnel the money in or funnel aid. Yeah. And I think what we're, what we're kind of trying to say here is more the fact that traditionally it's been a lot of like a Western organization, say Western, you've got Australia, they're technically Western, but they're not in the West. So let's just move away from that. Cause that's just confusing. Um, developed, even developed, that doesn't work either. This is another thing, you know, if you, another book, another shout out to books, Factfulness, you'll find that actually the, yeah, Matt still hasn't read it yet. Uh, You still, the the way that we talk about these things is very paternalistic sometimes, but ignoring the paternalism and just looking at it in this instance, we have traditionally a state actor from outside of a country saying, this is how we're going to do it in your country. We're going to bring money and we're going to do the project. We're saying is that, could there be a better way of doing it where actually rather than us saying how best to use the funds, you tell us how you can improve your community, your country. Oh, we think we need better running water. We think we need sanitation. We think we need food. We think we need mm. better ways to actually structure up industries. That that does lead to a case of like saying, well, yeah, how do we get money to them in a way that's probably going to avoid corruption? There will always be some degree of corruption always, don't get us wrong always always will be if there's if there's cash available it's just the nature of people but if you could give money directly to these uh to these individuals in a trend uh, in a in a way that as you say is a, it delivers accountability um is is transparent to the best case that it can be like you have this have you have a legitimate aspect to it um then i think there is definitely ca- a case to be able to do that and the thing is is we know now the, where we are now compared to 10, 15 years ago is we have the means to authenticate people remotely. You yeah. Know, I signed up for my new bank account using Monzo. No one from Monzo has ever seen me, but they were able to validate that I was who I was. 
Um, yeah. So you, I mean, I signed up for Tier yesterday, and it just literally photo of my driver's license and photo of me, and it face face matched it perfectly. Exactly. So there, there may, as we go forwards, there'll be more ways to prove that the person that we're giving the money to is that person. And as you said, if you give someone the money, are they likely to squander it? Well, no, because they're actually, it's not like they're going to run off with the 50 pounds you give them and go to <laughs> McDonald's because McDonald's doesn't exist there because there is no running water. And I know that's like literally a probably a, a gross simplification, but it's just to try and make the point that in a place where there are no luxuries, the only place where you're going to put the money is in the wider community. And I'm, and, and again, there is there that is potentially still a simplification because you could still say there are people in these hard situations who are in Lagos in Nigeria, and there is a McDonald's, but the point is still standing that if people are still living and struggling to go um, from... What, uh, from one situation to another, the likelihood is that I, at least I think that I believe, and I know it's think and belief, that they would probably look for something that structurally makes their life easier day to day than just squandering it all in one go. Agreed. No, I agree. And I think that is, and that is what a lot of research has shown so far. And that is a valid point. And then <clears throat> I suppose going back, not necessarily back, but the ultimate goal of wanting to solve these problems and wanting to make a difference and discuss these as we will on more and more podcasts and our Sunday chats. Well, now we just have the ability to record them, which I think is fantastic because we can really <laughs> listen to a lot of our ideas as we progress and see how they go. But I think the one thing that we always aim to address and and the reason why this has come about is as you've discussed now it's like wanting to we want to try and discuss a lot of i've used the word discuss now like eight times but i'm going to continue it's all right we'll get better with synonyms as we go along we've, we've elucidated there we go I'm going back to the middle class coffee coffee club again but the thing is so looking at what we want to achieve and, and what we think is right. And what I want more than anything, and this is why I like having these chats with you, is the idea of how to be able to give everyone a, a great opportunity in life to start. And because I've always been very, I suppose, I'd count myself fortunate in the sense that like my parents were able to send me to school and I always had food and there was never a time when I was in a state where I, I didn't feel safe. And I've put myself figuratively trying to understand and put myself in people's shoes where you think, shit, like imagine not having that. Imagine not having, imagine not being able to have those opportunities yeah. or like you, you constantly, and obviously coming from South Africa where 33% of the population is unemployed and there's such a huge, huge percentage of the population living below the breadline. It was an experiment that they did at university, which was uh, live on a standard, an average South African's wage per day, which was 10 Rand a day, which is the equivalent of 50p. Mm -hmm. And that's what you had to use to buy bread, to buy food, to buy everything and support yourself. And it's it's bloody difficult and it's really hard. And it the so going back to what I was trying to say is, is I think the point of this and what we want to try and achieve is open the dialogues to try and make sure we discuss the points to enable people to have 
a life that they are comfortable living and we're well, not comfortable living, but uh, where they are comfortable in the sense that they're not going, they feel safe, that they are within that social bubble that gives them the right opportunities. And I think these points of giving directly and how ODA can help with that is a fantastic first start. <clears throat> and obviously we'll go through a range of different things, but yeah, it's been, I think it's been pretty pretty cool just chatting about this stuff i'm sorry my voice i haven't been able your to voice speak. is dying to go now no don't worry yeah, my about voice it is fading horrifically so i i think yeah and just to add to what you said i mean the it's it's to one raise awareness that there are alternatives that aren't necessarily looked at i mean give directly is an example of someone trying to approach the problem in a different way and one mm. that is showing some success um, compared to the traditional approach, which for is either locally minded or has some sort of geopolitical focus or has some sort of like corruption or some reason why people don't want to do it, um, that there are these other routes that may allow us to make a change. And there it's to try and encourage that, you know, the things that we're going to talk about are things that we find interesting, things that we see are problems that people can actually pick up, research more and try and get involved more. Um, which if that's just a, you know, a byproduct of our catch-ups, which we enjoy, then that's great for us because, um, we can, we can sit here smiling and feel great about ourselves and all of that kind <laughs> of like, you know, pat ourselves on the back. Uh, no, no. Um, it's, it's more than just being able to raise awareness is something that most me and Matt feel like we can do because we just enjoy talking about these. And so if you get something out of it, then that's great as well.